Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. I feel like I have a word of the Lord for today and for our house and for our family. And I always love that. And um, I just, um, I went to pray. It was actually on Wednesday evening for our church and for our body. A bunch of us were taking communion or whatever. And I was sitting there to get a word for our, for our crew, for our team, for our house. And I asked the Lord very specifically, would you give me a word for the house for today? And he said something that I felt he said something to me that was so profound. But his answer was, you, you do not see yourself as you truly are. And it was, I, was, I was in our living, the downstairs living room area. And I remember feeling the weight of those words as if it was being spoken to me, you know. I was like, yo, <laughs> are we getting into stuff right now? I thought, this is for them, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm the messenger, right? But it came again. You, you do not see yourself as you truly are. And in that phrase for our house, for our family, which I felt like was also me as being a part of that, you know, I just work here, right? But um, there was something of the essence of the heart of the Lord um, that he wanted his people to know, he wanted our household and our family to know, and those listening to these messages to know, that he sees us in, in, in a far greater way than we even see ourselves a lot of times. And if we ever really truly grasped the, the intention, the plan, the purposes that he has for us, it would, it would obliterate the fear, timidity, anxieties that cripple people and that hold them back from walking in their fullness of purpose and calling in the earth. To, to really know the intention, the intentionality. And it is this master artist, this creator, who has knit together each person. He, he doesn't do anything with half of his heart. He is love. And so everything that he does is like he puts his full heart into it. And so there's not one human being in this house or in the world, to be honest, that escapes that level of intention and love and purpose and destiny that the master has actually sewn into the very fabric of their being. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not these couple, couple you know, gifted people, you know, born on the full moon or the spring equinox or, you know, some, you know, this is an X-Men movie. It's like God has put so much purpose and intention into every single one of us. And when, when we realize the reality of the love of God, that we are a masterpiece work of art meant to be manifest in the earth as the, air quotes, imagers of God, because we were created in the image of God in the garden, yeah. We are the only creation that is the, the imager of God himself, meant to reflect him through all the earth. And this artistic reality of each one of our importance, um, it's, it is the, the perfect love which casts out fear. Because love for me, y'all, has always been this like kind of a twisted, kind of strange word. It's kind of perverted and it's kind of, you know, I became a Christian. There was always some guy, you know what I mean, wearing some mandals and had a shell necklace. And he wants to hug me and tell me, I love you, brother. And I was just creeped out by that kind of thing. Too much oversharing right there. You know, but love has always been, oh, I just love you. I just love you. Let me, let me put my face against yours. I'm just like, yeah, hey, easy, brother. Boundies, you, you know what I mean? But in reality, 
And even love has always been like, I love you. Even in ministry settings, I've all, it's like, you don't love me. You, you love what I can do for you. You love what I bring to your table, what I bring to your, you, you know, you, that's what you love. Um, but in the reality, the love of God, when we break through all the grids and strongholds of all that mess, is this value that he has for each and every one of us. This intention that he purposed before the foundations of the earth. You know what I mean? That people like David in Psalm 139 grabbed a hold of and realized. You know, you can talk about self-help gurus and, you know, Tony Robbins and all these people. And they're like, you know, the universe is out to bless you. And to... But the reality is they are, they are onto something. And so they're walking in the reality of the thing. Because God is selfless. And he is about to bless and enhance the life of his kids. And those who unite to that reality by faith, that they're covered, that they're purposed, that they have destiny, even when it's skewed in the origins, they still step into a measure of that reality. But I feel like he's calling his household into a place of the understanding of what it means to be abiding under the shadow of the wing of the Most High, Psalm 91. What it really means to be loved of God, and it is valued, intended, purpose. It, it casts out, it blocks the fear that so easily tries to reach up and steer people's life. Because, because then they know, like, no, he has a plan and he has a purpose. It's just like, even repentance, even when we get ourselves in a mess, even when we're off the path, all you have to do is turn to him, have a mind change, which is a heart change to him. And he's, he's instantly in your corner saying like, oh, we're going to make beauty out of this mess. I've got, I've got plans. And he's excited. Just trust in me. The Lord is the good shepherd. It's brilliant. And we are the, the, the artistic masterpiece of God in the world. And we are called to be on display, manifesting his goodness, his life, his light, and his love. And the power of God comes hand in hand with the love of God. And this is scripture, you know, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. And so that's kind of what I want to talk to today. You know, Many of you know this. We did the message called The Story of Hoff. Uh, what was it? Five, six weeks ago, something like that. And even in that time, I shared a lot of my personal stories and the revelation that led us to coming here and starting this church and doing things the way we do them. And, and, it's, and, and it was very... I, I think that, that message had a whole lot in it. But, but also, there, there was aspects of the story that I, you know, we couldn't get to just for time's sake, and there's just so much more. So I want to throw pieces of that reality and that story in, in our messages. And I think something that's given me a grid for even what I'm talking about today, and even the words of the Lord, you don't see yourself as you truly are. Like, you have no, you don't even understand how much value and purpose and destiny I have for you. There's a grid, there's, there's things that block that, but I want to bring you into that reality. And I remember when we were praying about potentially moving here, you know, coming back in, into this region, living in the Carolinas. And I had a very spe specific dream which started me to think that, okay, God's telling us to come and start something. And in this dream, it was Nicole and I, and we were in this house, and the house was pretty nice. And we were in a nice kitchen, and she was doing something, baking something in the oven or something like she does. And the countertops were granted, which to us was like, you know, foreign, but really fancy and nice. We're like, dang, this place is nice. You know what I mean? And um, all of a sudden, behind the kitchen, where there used to be a wall, the wall completely opened up, almost like the wall disappeared. 
almost like Chip and Joanna Gaines came and did a little revamp of the place, right? You know what I mean? So anyway, speaking of knocking walls down, um, so all of a sudden there was a whole other wing of this house that I had never explored. And so I looked in the, in the wing of the house and I told Nicole, I was like, hey, that, there's a whole new wing of this house that I haven't been in yet. I'm going to go check it out. And she just kind of smiled and was like, okay, you know. So I walked in there and in the first, down the first hall, there was a bedroom and I looked into the bedroom door and there was a man laying in a bed. And as soon as I stuck my head in the room just to kind of check out what it was, he sits up in the bed. To which I was like, oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I didn't mean, and he's like, no, it's all right. Almost like he was just laying down waiting for us to, me, to, me to show up. But the hilarious thing is it was the Lord. It was Jesus himself laying there in a bed waiting on me. And when I see him laying there and he sits up, he looked exactly like Jim Kvitzel, you know, the guy that played the Passion of the Christ, Jim Kvitzel, the actor, you know. Yeah. And I remember when he sat up thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm in a man's room. And he just, I, I didn't know somebody was trying to rest. I'm sorry. But the other thought that was in my head was like, wow, you really do look like Jim Kvitzel in real life. <laughs> I was like, wow, he looks like, they really like, look like each other. But I knew who it was. And I was like, oh gosh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to. Uh, and, and there's a little more to the dream, so I'm just going right ahead to it. So he says up, he says, it's okay. And I was like, hey, I just noticed this whole wing of the house is open for me to explore. Is it okay that I, that I walk through this? And he says, sure, I'm going to walk through it with you. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, Jesus stands up and he walks over to the door and we walk out of the room and we walk into a large, what, I don't know if you'd call it a live, living room or family room or whatever you call it, you know, but this very large room, maybe as nearly as big as this entire sanctuary of the church. It's very large as we're walking in, but the entire room was art. It was all artwork and it was all different types of art. You know, it's almost like you stepped into, you know, this is another league of, of house, like, whoa, dude, they got, they got a room dedicated just to art, you know what I mean? And so, I'm walking through the room and there's, there's paintings on the walls. Then there's, there's sculptures, there's carvings, there's abstract looking art. There's just all kinds of art throughout the whole place. And um, I don't know, I'm not, I don't at all consider myself an artist. I've never you know, done anything artistic. My whole family's musicians, all that stuff, you know what I mean? So it's sitting like, well, this is my, this is my language God's talking in. You know what I mean? This is like, this place is foreign to me that I'm like, whoa. And I'm, so I'm walking around with the Lord who looks so much like Jim Kavitzel. It was just like, wow, you guys are really similar. Not exact, but pretty close. And, um, and, and so we walk to the center of the room, past sculptures and art and pictures and things hanging, whatever, you know, all this stuff. And we stopped to this one picture and it was the largest picture painted on the wall, but it was a portrait of a man, and I cannot for the life of me remember the eye color, hair color, anything about the man. I just remember this picture of a man, and I stood there and I stopped, and something in me was like familiar. Almost like I'm exploring this house, but there's also something to my lineage here. Like, what? oh, wait a second. Is this, you know, it's like, is this in my family? Is this, are these relatives? Are these? You know, this is, this is somehow I'm connected to, you know, this is a, there's a connection here. And I looked at the thing, and then the Lord, standing there, points to the picture, and he says, that is my father. And when he says that, it hit me. Like, oh, it is. It's him. It's like, I know, of course that is. Of course that's, 
my family, my people, my where I'm from. That's my that's that is the the father. But you know, we can be somewhat religious. I don't know if you know that, but I in the in these experiences, um, Jesus and you know God is not religious. I hate to break that. You know, to him, he doesn't have the Hillsong CD playing in his room, in his car when he drives around. He might like that music. I'm not saying that, so don't take that the wrong way. But I seriously doubt it. But not against them at all. I'm sure it's wonderful. I don't listen to it. It might be the best. Okay, it probably is the best. Just say that so you're not in trouble. But you know, anyway. So like, I don't see him listening to the Christian station and just you know, he's creative. He's an artist. He likes beauty. He like he is the creator. He's the master. We copy each other down here, especially in the church family. We just copy and regurgitate each other's, air quotes, art, not art, air quotes, art. Um, anyhow, ask me what I really think about it sometime. Um, but walking through this place, I don't even have the sense of, oh, yes, the Father, the Son. The, the Son points to the Father. The Father, the Son glorifies the Father. Father. You know, I don't, I'm not rehearsing John 16. I'm not, you know, I'm a... It's like there's not that essence in the, in the dream. You dig? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because there's not that essence around him. There's freedom from that gross religious poison of the knowledge of good and evil. And so I'm, I come out of this dream and I wake up and I'm like, whoa. And of course, then you're like, well, of course. All of the art, all of creation. You know, Jesus is the creator, right? We understand this, John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God and he was God simultaneously. All things were created by him and for him and through him. You know, that's Colossians 1, that's John 1, it's everything. Jesus is this creator, but he also walks around on the earth and he tries to paint this picture through his analogies, through his conversations, and this, this thing, this kingdom of heaven is only, is only surpassed by one thing, and that is dad. That is dad. That's who God is. The express image of God is manifesting. The word, the expression of God is manifesting that God is Abba. And this art room was the full expression of that reality. And I've I've, I've at times thought that this reality is, um, we are called to manifest the creativity of heaven in a way that points people to God. And that's 100%. That's 100% what, what dad's house looks like. But I'm also coming to the conclusion of that dream that the works of art are the actual people of God himself. Not only do they produce the creativity and the life flow of the reality of heaven in their life, but they themselves are the artwork, the intricate design of who God is. Being imaged in the earth to awaken the sleeper the rest of his family, his kids, and even all of creation, which groans for this reality to happen, this says in Romans 8. Everything wants to see Abba. And we're the vessels of this reality. And so I'm praying this for this message for the house, and it's like you don't, really, you don't even see yourselves as you truly are. You know, This intricate, beautiful, artistic work, you know, all of self-hatred, all of self-disqualification, all of this stuff literally lies in us disqualifying ourselves when God hasn't disqualified us at all, yeah. right? And this, the poison of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, call it law, call it legalism, really call it judgment because we wanted the power to judge good and evil. 
has actually come in and we can partake of that religious poison and superimpose it on our dad and reflect, literally consider ourselves as he would consider us as this false deity. I could say that better than I just did. How about this? The reality is a lot of the condemnation, a lot of the judgment, a lot of the falling short of, a lot of the the criticism that many people feel upon themselves, that even the self-hatred is rooted in a lie that God feels that way about you. And it's not true. And it's not real. You know, he's been over backwards completely to, to restore everything that was ever lost in the fall. And now he sees us, he sees us completely different as this new creation. That's true. And you have these scriptures that, that are in red, like Jesus said, uh, Matthew 7, 1, judge not and you won't be judged. But the measure you use, it'll be used on you. And it's just like, this isn't just being critical of other people because then you're measured by that same standard. It is the poison of judgment that came in through the fall, you know, that we've superimposed on God about our own selves. We disqualify ourselves through what he actually says about us. You know, we disqualify ourselves with our own beliefs about the way he sees us or views us or thinks about us, you know. And God's like, hey, that's, that's not actually in my heart towards you at all, you know. We have this, and, and it's interesting, there's, there's some themes I've, I've, I've thought this week that are so important for us to champion as a church and as a body and even as Christians. And the theme of God not being separate, not being bipolar, as we call it, the good dad theology, the bad dad theology, all these different things, this judgmental, wrathful God that we've actually superimposed this kind of good cop, bad cop on, on, on God that Jesus actually came to completely destroy. And that mentality is what yields the fruit of judgment in our lives. Because if I can reject myself before you reject me, I don't have to worry about the sting of you rejecting me. You catch what I'm throwing? And we've got that safety, that, that harness, or that, 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 I guess you call it armor, to shield us from this judgment of God when the judgment of God's not actually there. It's through a grid. And there's this thing, I was thinking about it, um, you know, anybody heard of the Shema, right? This prayer that Jews have prayed every morning for the past few thousand years. And some morning and night, right? Does anybody know the Shema? The whole thing in here? Oh, Dory, all right, you want to come? You want to come quote? No, I'm just, okay, I, won't, I wouldn't do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, but it, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is our truth and it, is our, and it is our Shema. And Shema literally just means to hear or to listen. Hear, O Israel. That's where it's from, right? Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, Shema, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And this, this is the Shema of our church. This is, this is actually so important for the world to know and understand now because the Lord is one. The Lord, God, it's, it's one. It's like he, he's not a pantheon of gods like the Greeks have or the Sumerians or the Babylonians and all this stuff. But also the Lord God is fully agreed. There's not a father behind the back of a son. The son's not holding the father's wrath back from throwing the lightning bolts at the kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not a good cop, bad cop. 
It's not an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. It is Father and Son in complete, total agreement and spirit, in complete and total wholeness of agreement. The Lord God is one. I and my Father, what did he say? We're one. You know what I mean? It's like this, this was one of the most important things for us to understand. And, you know, I love Shema. It, the word here, it's like, it's not just here, like just listen and then go and live your life. It means to, to like actually follow through. Listen and live what you hear. It's a different type of listening. It's an understanding that, that governs your life. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, Deuteronomy 6.4 and 6.5. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your strength. And this is the answer. This is the answer to that question, to that quote. You don't really know who you are. You, you, you don't see yourself as you truly are. The answer to seeing ourselves as we truly are is actually found in hearing, O Israel, hearing people of the Lord, the Lord is one. He is not bipolar. He is good. He is all lovely. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your mind and heart and soul. This complete sold out, this Matthew 6, 33, the, the kingdom first above all things, this alignment that comes from knowing that now we've seen God, Jesus. We know what he looks like. We know that God is love and we follow him wholeheartedly right? And with this understanding of loving God with all our heart and holding nothing back, he asks, he does not ask us to do anything that he himself doesn't fully do first. We love because he loved us first, y'all. You know what I'm saying? We, we, read, we read the second half of the book. I love that. Jesus, when the, remember when the Pharisees and the, and the lawyers were coming in, they were trying to test him. They were trying to trap him in saying certain things, but they asked him what was the greatest commandment. And he goes to what is known as the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one. Love the Lord your God. And he, and he quotes that the greatest is to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Matthew 22, right? Verse 37 to 40. He's like, and the second greatest commandment is like it, is you love your neighbor as yourself. And on these hang the law and the prophets. This, the brilliance of the greatest commandment was the very thing that unlocks mankind from his self-judgment, self-hatred, and the poison of the very fall. And the point was that the Shema, this hearing and realizing that God is one, he's not bipolar, you know, he's not this wrathful, you know, bloodthirsty, sacrificial, you know, this, this monster that was actually contrary to all the pagan deities. He's not one of these. He's actually one. And when we see that, it enables us to trust him and let our whole heart go to him fully and holy. Yeah, man. It enables that first commandment. And the first commandment enables the second. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Because that's the issue. That's, I think that's the stoppage of the power of God being released in the earth, is the ability to love our neighbor as ourself. Yeah. But, if, but if we have a limited ability to love ourself, because we have a, a skewed image of God, so we're all partially afraid of Him, you dig? You know what I'm saying? And the gifts and the, of the Spirit, their power works through the love of God, 1 Corinthians 13 says. So it's like, we, we'll never be af effective in being the images of God that we're called to be. And I feel like God wants to actually shatter that reality. He, that false narrative, really. And bring us into the reality of feeling and understanding His love and His attention for us. I've never liked, you know, 
self-seeking messages or, you know, it's all, it's, it's all about me and all the self-help and love yourself. All, it always has had such a gross, it gives at least a gross taste in my mouth because love doesn't seek its own, right? 1 Corinthians 13. But the reality is we cannot love our neighbor as ourselves if we cannot love ourselves if we're continually disqualifying ourselves, judging ourselves, harsh with our own selves, critical of our own selves, which comes from being poisoned in our view of who God is. And God wants to break this stuff, man. Yeah. Um, one, by getting us out of the way of the, of the judgment mentality, that judgment paradigm of Matthew 7, judge not lest you be judged, but also coming into the reality of who we are. Because yeah. I think, you know, when you say something like that, you, you don't see yourself as I see you. Imagine God saying that. I was thinking when I was even talking to the team of how many times God comes in and he meets people. Jesus, the embodiment of Yahweh, comes in through the Bible and he meets people constantly and renames them. Or he talks to them as if they don't even know who they really are. You know what I mean? You got Peter like, yeah, you're going to be called, you know, my name's Simon. Well, we're going to change your name on the spot. It's like, who has the right to do that? <laughs> the creator has the right to do that. Like, oh, you think you're somebody, but I know who you really are. I think about Gideon, right? In Judges, like six and seven, like Gideon's like, Basically, talks, I wouldn't say talks trash, but close to it, to Yahweh embodied. The angel of the Lord, who is Jesus in the Old Testament. He's like, he tells him like, hey, I'm, I'm going to use you to, to deliver Israel. And he's like, I, he's like, you got it wrong. Like, I am, I'm, I'm a loser. I'm the least in my whole father's house. Like, you've picked the wrong one. And Jesus doesn't even acknowledge what he says. He's like, all right, cool. We'll go in this might of yours. He just continues to talk to him like he's just going to, he is what he says he is. And it's because it's like this, this point that's driven through the entire Bible. Oh, the Apostle Paul, I'm the greatest of sinners. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm a killer. You know, and Jesus is like, that's not who he is. He's something else. Galatians 1, 15 and 16. The Apostle Paul says, when it pleased God who separated me from my mom's womb to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. It's like, yeah, I was a murderer and killer, but inside of my mom's womb, before I was on the earth, he designed me to do something specific. And it was brilliant. And it's something not only brilliant, he's like, to preach this message, this Jewish message, allegedly, to the, the Gentiles, which means the whole world. This is somebody, I'm the greatest of sinners, I'm a rotten killer, I've done all these naughty things. However, God designed me for something different. I was just on a wrong path. I didn't see myself as he saw me. I was the one that's supposed to break this thing out to the rest of the whole world. It's like, wow, easy. That's a little narcissistic. You know, know that somebody confident in the love and the intention that God has for them. You know what I mean? It's just, it's a, it's a different game, man. Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord. That is Yahweh. Because he ends up crying about it. Oh my gosh, I've seen God in the flesh. You know what I mean? He freaks out just like Gideon did. But who, who had a imposter syndrome? Anybody ever dealt with that? Yeah, me, I have. But it's like, you know, it's like, who had a right to have an imposter syndrome? Like, yeah, you're an imposter. You dressed up in your, you put goat hair on your arms to make it look like you were your brother. You're, you're sketchy and a thief and you're neat. your name means trickster and deceiver. Like, that's who you are. But Jesus meets him, Yahweh, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, and says, oh, you're Israel. Your son, you're a prince with God. You're, you're the royalty of heaven on the earth. Like, what, dude, what? It's like, you don't know who you really are. I know who you are. 
And he has this attitude towards us all. Every time we're believing a lie about ourselves, which most of the time in the religious world is we think God thinks something about us, so we're under condemnation, we're trying to figure out how we can be right with God, and it's like, well, that's religious, because that's not how any of this works. There's even no condemnation in, this, in that which is Jesus Christ, Romans 8. 1. You know, so you're like, this reality of God seeing everybody different is just, come, you know, Jeremiah 1, I'm a youth, I don't know what to do. I can't be a prophet, and it's just like, dude, I knit you together in your mother's womb, just like Paul. He tells him that. I designed you for this, man. You're built for this. You're going to tell me? You're going to tell me like, what you're built for? Like, I made it this way. You've just come into an identity that's not yours. But I'm not going to smack you over that. I'm going to show you what yours is. And I'm going to speak the life into you. And you follow that path. Break away from, from fear and anxiety and pressure and step into this, into this truth. Come and actually... Come together in your heart with the reality of what I actually have for your life. You know, it's interesting. I love um, King David is, is, is a brilliant one. And I think that's what we'll kind of, we'll land on or we'll kind of close with this, this last five, ten minutes, right? King David came into this reality that God was for him. And I really believe this is what propelled him through his entire life. Well, he was of the lineage. Yes, he, he, was, of the, he was of the lineage. And, and God had chosen him before the foundations of the earth. But he made so many gross mistakes. But one thing that he knew is that God had found him and had purpose and destiny for him. Because his dad tried to hide him. You know what I mean? Didn't even bring him out in front of Samuel. But God still made him come out. Even when he was, he was a you know, half you know, brother all that. It was like there was something inside of him like, no, I've been chosen. It doesn't matter. I was conceived, you know, in sin. That's what, that's what he said about himself. But he also understood something different. God was for him. And this, this would be a great homework assignment for anyone to read Psalm 139 with and pray through it. Because it literally hits on everything we're talking about today. It's, it's, it is the psalm of connection, David connecting to God, and he's walking this path that we're talking about today. This path of this word of the Lord. You don't really see yourself as you truly are. I want you to see yourself the way I see you. And David is hip to this. He's a king. He's killed giants. He's done all these things. But he still understands he's still walking in a limited capacity of what the Creator is walking called him to walk in and he's like lord you've searched and you've known my sitting down my my rising up my path you're acquainted with all my ways you've hedged behind and before me psalm 139 i'm just gonna i'm just really ripping through this so just so you know i'm in verse seven now but i'm gonna skip around i'm just gonna do it really quick it's 24 verses where can i go from your spirit where can i flee from your presence if i ascend into heaven you're there if, my, if I make, make my bed in hell, Sheol, behold, you are there. Wow. Sheol, the place of the dead. There's no escaping you, not even on the other side of the tracks. We don't need to do that today, but let your mind think about the things that are in the Bible. If, it, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, from there, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. It's like the plans, purposes, and intentions, regardless even of my decisions, 
you will never forsake me. You'll always be there for me. This is not an encouragement to make bad decisions or to ignore the voice of the Lord of where he's calling you or leading you to. You know what I mean? That's definitely not a recommendation. But what I'm saying is the love of God doesn't quit. It just doesn't stop because it is who he is. Here, O Israel, the Lord is one. He is one way. He is agreed, the Father and the Son. And you are the artistic expression of him in the earth. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. This is like, sometimes we think of like, oh, somebody's, he's really running away from God, brother. You know what I mean? But I don't even know that people are running away from God. They're running away from a bipolar deity that they don't trust, don't love, they feel like doesn't really value or love them, has some miserable plan and purpose from their life because they don't understand the reality of how much he loves them. Yeah, that's the missing link. And even darkness doesn't hide me. It's like, not, it's like a bright time to you. People don't go into darkness in order to run from God. You know what I mean? They go into darkness in order to medicate the issues in their life. Addictions and darkness and all the things that people reach for. Just, I mean, Read Galatians 5. It is a reach for the things, the fruit of the Spirit, that never works out because people aren't whole. And David's come to that reality. Even when I try to fill myself with the dark things, which I think should have disqualified for me, you're, you're sitting there in the corner waiting on me with a smile on your face. You're ready to leave? Indeed, the darkness can't hide from you. Verse 13 for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance. There's some real interesting stuff there. Being yet unformed. And in your book, they were written all the days that you fashioned for me. This purpose, it is destiny. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. Psalm 139, 17. Should I count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. It's like this isn't a dream. It's on both sides, sleep and awake. But it's like how precious are your thoughts. And you think, it's like you, you are constantly... The capacity of God. Another thing, people feel like, oh, I'm just too much for him. I don't want to bother him. He's disappointed in me. The capacity of God is not what we think the capacity of a parent that raised us or any just regular human being. His thoughts are literally for you, surrounding you. You know what I mean? He is with his people. You know what I mean? We're not too much for him. His intentions, his plans, his purpose, all these things David was saying is like, I am fearfully made. I am wonderfully made. You designed me on the inside of my mom's womb. Before I was actually in the earth, you actually intricately sewn in all the plan's purpose into my very DNA, the fabric of my humanity, of my being, in my spirit, which is breathed out of you. It's like, well, this is just a king. Like, nah, dude, this is, this is the scriptures, and this is for every single one of us. We don't see ourselves the way he sees us. One, it is the judgment and the poison of the fall, but the other thing that's coming up, David's going to actually hit what it is, is very, very important. He comes down to verse 23, says, 
Search me and know my heart. This is intimate relational connection. This is process back and forth with Abba. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. How about that? Try me, search me, go into my zone, come into my heart. Fear and anxiety is the thing that the enemy uses and the systems of this world use to puppet the people of God. It keeps them from walking in the path of the Lord and being the imagers of who they truly are. I mean, if you just, if you just look at it, the fear of man, which proves to be a snare, the fear of how am I going to come across, how am I going to have my needs met, how am I going to appear to other people, am I going to be accepted? All of those things that causes the image of God in the earth, his people, to transform themselves into other images in order to get their needs met or to be accepted. And this is the lie. Because it's rooted in a lie that God's not good and he's not going to cause you to have success in this life. And that's a lie, dude. He's with us. And David's coming into this like, okay, I'm trusting in your goodness. I'm trusting in your kindness. I'm trusting that even darkness when I'm in the dirt doesn't separate me from you. That's Colossians 1. The separation was only in our mind, right? That's what Colossians 1 says. It's not real. Colossians 1, 20, 21. It's like the reality of what Jesus has paid for, the reality of what God's shown us, his heart towards us is, is not judging and against us. It is judging us as in let there be light. Step back into my family business. Step back into your true inheritance. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there, Psalm 139, 24, and see if there is any wicked way in me. See if there is any... I have to look at this real quick because there's something important. That word, you know, wicked is, I'm not going to try to say it in Hebrew. It's oteb, but it means pain. See if there's a way of pain within my heart and lead me in the way everlasting. That is the ancient way. This is where, you know, Jeremiah, who coined, we think coined that phrase, the ancient way. Jeremiah 6.16, he got that from Uncle David. Or cousin David, or brother David. You know, I'm just, you know, whatever. But he got it from the Psalms. He's heard it before. There's a thing called the ancient way, the ancient paths of Jeremiah 616. And um, it's Psalm 139.24. And what it is, it's actually coming back into the full path, the road, the alignment of the, of the architect himself, of the master artist. It's like, whoa. David... This successful king is coming to say like, okay, we're firing on some pretty good cylinders here, right? We're getting some cool things accomplished in life or whatever. But I, I know that you're the designer. I know that you're the master artist. I know that I was formed in you before my mother's womb. I know that you've actually intricately sewn into the fabric of my heart and life the things of heaven that you've called me to release as an imager of yours on the earth. Would you come and search my heart and would you actually know the fears, the anxieties that are trying to steer me in my life? People run away from fear. That's mistake number one. Um, they run away from it just like these dark things that, that um, David's talking about once, you know, in verse like 10 and 11. This darkness is like, we try to self-medicate or we try to numb or we try to fulfill ourselves to like avoid the fears and the pains of life in the past and the fall and whatever we've inherited in that reality. 
David's coming, hey, I realize none of that works. You're still with me. You're the architect. My way doesn't always work. I'm learned, I've learned that. I want to be in your way. Test my heart. Let, open myself up to the fears that are in my heart, these anxieties that are plaguing me. I want you to speak into these things. And if there's any painful way that is within me, I ask you to actually identify it and lead me into the ancient way. You catch what I'm throwing? Pain. Wound. Unhealed wounds, religious grids, judgments, anxiety, fear, all the same things, all of the same root ball, dark root ball. David's saying, aha, I know that I'm not fully who you've called me to be yet. I'm in a process, but would you speak into those things? And he's vulnerably opening that reality up to the, to the father. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, wait a second. There are so many people who are trying to figure out, does this blue shirt say that I'm intelligent? You know what I mean? Or what does this hairstyle say about me? Or like, how are people going to think if my car is this color? Or, you know, all these little silly things that we, that, we, that we are governed by walking around in life. We're not from here. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're of someplace else. We are a go-between. We are made of the dust of this planet but but we are breathed of the life of god and the fall the poison of that tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil has made its way through all of the earth itself all of the dust of the earth all of creation which is groaning for the reversal but there's been something in the blood of the lord jesus there's been something in this reversal i love that word that he's actually done to we step out of this old lineage and into the lineage of the sons of the kingdom that we're called to be. To walk in a level of confidence that's not always, you know, shape-shifting in our groups, in our friend groups, and on our social media accounts, and all these different things in order to be accepted or appear a certain way that is at peace and at rest with who we are because we know the love of our Father and the intention that He has for us. And when we have that, it is not just a license to be, you know, hippies at the coffee shop that just sit feeling good about ourselves. That's not what's going on here. It is about being the images of God that unlock this entire planet and everybody on it. He's seated in heaven, waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. And cowardice is not our lineage, but it plagues our people. And, and David kills giants, y'all, because he has this confidence. It's a different mentality. He's coming up against us as a Nephilim giant, but we're in the name of the Lord, and this isn't going to fly. Sounds like Joshua and Caleb, Numbers 13. Everyone's like, we can't go in the promised land, we can't do this. It's like, no, 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 no. They're going to be food for us. Joshua, there's another guy whose name was changed. You know what I mean? Moses changed Joshua's name. To Yehoshua, you know what I mean? That's how he got his name. Initially, it was, it was a little bit of a variant of that, a little bit, little bit lesser. <laughs> you know, there's another name changer. But Moses had a link up to the Father. You know what I'm saying? I don't think it... This is, this is my belief, right? I mean, I can't prove this, but it is the Bible. But he changed Joshua's name. I, I have a feeling that God talked to Moses and called Joshua... Son of none, I think he called him Yahushua. You know, Yahshua. You know what I mean? I, I think God was talking to him about, like, I want you to take Yah, Yah. And so he just started like, well, that's what he calls him. I'm going to start calling him that. And then it stuck. 
And I think Joshua was probably like, why are you calling me that? Why are you calling me Joshua? Instead of, and shoot, instead of Yeshua or whatever. You know what I mean? Why are you calling me Yehoshua instead of Yeshua? And uh, Moses is like, well, that's what he calls you. That's what he calls me? Like, yeah, like, well, he apparently know you. So you okay, anyway, so that's my brain. But and probably half y'all didn't even know. You're probably hungry and didn't even hear that last part. So I don't even, who knows, man? I entertain myself up here. I do like this stuff. The point I feel like we're in a season where God's heart is, is, is so readily available to be imparted to us all. And that season's called time and space. You know, that was a joke saying like, it's, the time is now. It's always now. Yeah. He wants people to know him. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. He wants them to know who he truly is. This reality. That he's not, you know, like his, Jesus' half-brother, James said, in him there is no variance, there is no shadow, there is no turning. He's all good all the time. He's one way. This isn't a good cop, bad cop. He's not bipolar. This is not what you think. He is one. God is one. He is agreed. He has let there be light all the time in you. You know. And knowing this reality and having this trust, it is time to connect to the Lord and receive His heart. And his. It's not like, oh, you know, let me get my journal out and like, what, how do you see me, God? You know what I'm saying? I'm, maybe it is like that. But what it is, is like it's coming to the reality of the purpose and intention and destiny that he's put into each and every one of us. And some of that literally will come on from this, dealing with the things that are causing us to be fear, fearful and anxious. Dealing with the things, hey, if there's hurtful, if, if, if there's an ability for things to come out of my mouth that cause pain, right? Then there must be some pain in my heart would you take me out of that lineage that pain grabbing manifesting lineage and let me step into the ancient way the ancient roads of jeremiah 6 the ancient plans and purposes you had for me let me i want to fully walk in the full and total purposes that you have for me in this life because i'm telling you it comes right into the wholeness of actually knowing him in a very real way and also, here's another thing. Taylor said it, man. The, the whole New Testament, it would take all day. But it is about this fellowship of 1 John 1.7. The fellowship of the blood flow of Jesus Christ. People being in relationship to one another. You know, and having, I hate to say the A word, but accountability. Because I know that's been used in such an, an abrasive and abusive way. But being in relationship to other people that are walking the same walk of real Christianity causes the blood to flow. A lot of people don't need a counselor. And that's not a slap on counselors. They're incredibly valuable and a lot of people do need them. But there's a whole lot of people that don't need them. What they need is to walk in true fellowship and light. And that does it. I've seen it happen over and over again in my life. I've seen it in this body. It is just like there is something to the breakthrough that happens as people walk in that koinonia, that wholeness of the New Testament Christian walk, the life of walking this reality out. It is the ancient way. It is the ancient paths. It existed before this planet. And that's what the Bible says anyways. And he was crucified before the foundations of this earth. You know, it was always settled for us. I think that is it. Colossians 1. Verse 13. He's delivered us from the power of darkness, which is the inheritance of the fallen. 
And he's conveyed us or translated us or transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. It's like we're not in that old lineage anymore. We're in a different lineage. And all we have to do to to bear the fruits of it is choose to live in it and walk in it. Profoundly simple, but beautiful. Well, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, which is truth. And Lord, I thank you that you are love and that you are one, God. And you haven't had a mind change about any of us. That your love and your intention and your plans and your purpose for us and for this planet, for the earth, are so full of beauty and redemption that we've been called to manifest you as carriers of yours. Lord, I ask that everybody in our body, and in the sound of my voice, the podcast, anywhere else, that we would step into the reality of who you've created us to be, that we would not bend or bow or you know, form ourselves into something that is not you, that the freedom of the creativity of heaven, the divine artwork, which you've intended from before we were even born, that we would manifest that which points to you. Thank you.